Welcome back to Talking Points, the podcast where a group of F1 fans just have a good old chin wag, as Tomo would say, about what the racing that we've just saw. And as you can see, it's just myself and Aras today. Tomo has had a massive weekend and unfortunately he's actually doing something else today. And Hayden is actually at the Grand Prix himself. Uh, he could have just, you know, come in via the mobile phone, but we're giving him the uh, giving the week off. But it is myself and Aras today. Aras, how you been, mate? How, how was your weekend? How did you find the race? Do you know what? I'm probably the only person on the internet that actually, I thought it was a good race. I thought, I'm not saying it was amazing <laughs> or anything like that, but I thought it was actually a pretty good race. There were some really interesting storylines in the midfield and obviously, you know, the fight, well, I say fight up front, it was absolute domination by Max, but I thought generally from the beginning to the end, there were some interesting uh, points about it, but yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, getting into it. Yeah, absolutely. And also a big thanks to everyone who is watching on YouTube or if you're following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that lovely good stuff. If you want to follow our podcast, make sure to click the link in the description below. We have pretty much accessible options to any platform you can think of. And if, you, if we're not on one of those, then do let us know. And uh, yeah, in that case, then let's just jump straight into it. First of all, I want to get your rating out of 10. As you said, you did. You were a good fan of the, a big fan of the race. So what would you rate it out of 10? I'm going to give, well, I want to say big fan. I think putting words <laughs> in my mouth there, Matt. Uh, no, I'd give it, I'd give it a six out of 10. I thought it was about, people were saying that it was like one of the worst races they've ever seen, like really boring. I thought it was kind of just above average, but kind mm. of a good Formula One race. I thought there was enough kind of going on, uh, especially in the midfield that to me, it kind of saved. And even at the beginning, there was a lot of carnage. So I'm going to give it a six out of 10. I thought it was good. Yeah, I think, I think I'm going to have to go a little bit lower. I think I'm going to have to go either a high four or a low five. I think think I might have to give it a four. I think it was below average because I think for me, it had all the ingredients to be a really good race. You know, we've got the whole news at the moment that, you know, Spa uh, may or may not be coming back, uh, obviously, uh, uh, for like next year or, or whatever its future is on the calendar. Um, but I think it had all the ingredients to be a perfect race. Um, you know, you had seven driver, uh, driver penalties in the end because originally we were going to have six, but then uh, Gasly, I think, had to start then from the pit lane. Um, and then we saw like, OK, basically all the good, decent drivers starting at the back of the grid. And then obviously all the ingredients there to have a good race. And then I think <sighs> we had a good start. And then I don't think we had like a showstopper. And I think it's, you know, the, it's, it was kind of came at a bad time, you know, when obviously all the talk at the moment of like, you know, should Spa stay on the calendar? Oh, this is what the FIA are currently deciding, deciding at the moment. And I just don't think it delivered as good. And obviously, this is the first time, you know, we've seen the 22 uh, grids, um, uh, 2022 cars on the on the track. Because obviously, we got all lucked out of not having a, a race last season because, um, you know, of all the rain coming through. And then, like, you know, the masterclass from George Russell. Yep. Yeah, I, I think got for me, you've got to get that in. Um, but I think for me, like, it wasn't a great case for Spa staying on the calendar, in my opinion. I think, yeah, we had a great first couple of uh, starting laps and then basically it kind of just plateaued after that. But let's get into the race then. Let's begin lap one. You know, I was actually quite surprised because, you know, we've had some track changes. You know, they've changed, you know, uh, made uh, O'Rouge and Radion, you know, a little bit wider for more of the driver safety and obviously they installed a grandstand there. But the main thing, though, is that they introduced some more gravel traps, particularly on corner uh, on the first corner where, you know, before we've seen plenty of drivers use all the runoff and use it to their advantage. And I was under the firm belief that we were going to see at least two DNFs in the first corner, you know, getting a couple cars beached onto that. But actually we saw... 
no, no one go off. All the guys were actually nicely behaved going into the first corner. I don't know what what were you expecting because I I was expecting two DNF straight away going into that hairpin. There was a lot of sweepstakes on Twitter about that in terms of how many people were going to end up in the uh, in the kitty litter there. But do you know what? It, it's <laughs> funny, isn't it? You put, you put a gravel trap, the, exactly. You put a gravel trap at La Source, and guess what? The drivers don't run wide. Could you, could you imagine that? Unbelievable. It's yeah. very blatant that when there is runoff there, the drivers can easily just use it a little bit for their advantage, maybe to kind of like make the corner a little bit wider and kind of get a bit more speed. Like when that safety blanket of runoff is there, drivers are going to use it. I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's just how they are. So to me, there was absolutely no surprise. And to be honest, even in like the lower formulas, there wasn't too much kind of carnage into that kind of growl. Even they kind of were, you know, careful about it. So to me, maybe it sounds a little bit kind of like I'm looking back with, you know, hindsight, but I was not surprised at all. The drivers knew that it was there. They, they knew they couldn't take liberties. And I actually quite liked that. I think that was the right thing to do because it's one of those corners where you can gain an advantage um, if you run a little bit wide. So I was super happy. And to be honest, I wasn't surprised because when the, when there is a gravel trap there, the drivers know that they can't push as much. And uh, yeah, although I am very happy that they kind of added it as well. Bring bring more gravel traps. Like that is why Spa needs to stay. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, and there was obviously, um, I think they had actually positioned um, some extra runoff behind the gravel trap. So even if you go, go went through, you could then almost, if you didn't get the car beached or, you know, sort of spinning your wheels up, you could eventually get to some extra road to get back onto the track uh, just behind it. So it wasn't kind of like, as soon as you're on it, you're, you're out, basically. Um, but yeah, all the boys then seemed very nicely behaved, went down the first couple of corners, and then we had our first incident, Lewis Hamilton... One. And Fernando Alonso, you know, obviously since then, you know, Lewis has uh, looked over it. And I think one of the uh, reporters was trying to, you know, throw a bit of spice into it of saying, you know, like Fernando's team, a team mess is going into it. Um, I don't know about you, mate. It seems pretty clear cut to me that Lewis was at at fault. Um, Obviously, there is that rule. I'm going back to the FIA regulations here of what they've what they've ruled as an overtake that if you are going to the corner and you are ahead, you do sort of have position of that. But it seemed to me or seemed to all of us, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming for all of us watching here. That Lewis, yeah, just closed the door. And I think Fernando actually had to take quite a, a lot of evasive action, like fully getting onto the curb because he just looked like he turned in as if he wasn't there. Uh, but, you know, Alonso's your boy and also Lewis Hamilton's your boy. So what's your thoughts on it, mate? <laughs> Uh, the moment we saw, first of all, it was quite unclear, it was a big, big accident in terms of like, mm. it wasn't massively high speed because they were kind of in the braking zones, but that's a big bounce. These cars are stiff. There is no suspension, yeah. you know, in terms of what we think of suspension is, you know, in like our road cars, those cars are stiff. So Lewis is definitely going to feel that one today. That was a big, big bounce. Totally. Um, some of the footage and the pictures, especially like the still images, you're like, that does not, a Formula 1 car is not supposed to be like that. But um, yeah, it was a spectacular accident. Luckily, you know, no one was kind of hurt or hopefully Lewis is okay. But um, I, I needed to see kind of the replay and it was, I think, Lewis's fault because he did get it done into the braking zone. The actual overtake was really yeah. good because he kind of, you know, compromised Fernando, put him on that kind of inside line. Lewis made a really good kind of really breaking late into the apex. But like he said himself after the race, once he saw it, he he couldn't see Fernando and you kind of have to judge how much space you want to give the car on the inside you want to give them enough so that if they are there, if they're kind of, if they do run a little bit wide or if, you know, again, start of the race, heavy fuel, very easy to just, you know, run wide a little bit, but you don't want to give them too much space because it's also very mm. easy to then kind of hold it around the outside and maybe, you know, lose the position. And Lewis just mis- misjudged it. He said himself that it was very difficult to see. He made the judgment call of closing uh, the inside a little bit more aggressively. And uh, yeah, this time uh, it didn't pay off as far as Fernando, obviously, 
he he was properly like on the curb. Like I think he only had yeah. one wheel on the tarmac because his car was basically off the track. But yeah, it was just one of those collisions that I think, you know, Lewis, first of all, you know, he came out and said it was his fault, which uh, you definitely Fair don't play. see a lot. I thought the needle from Alonso was just like classic Fernando. I mean, I also thought it was very good of Lewis actually that he didn't. And it was actually Rachel, Rachel Brooks that we saw obviously, you know, doing like the Sky interview. And she was like, she was about to start saying, oh, you know, Fernando actually said this on the radio. And Lewis was just yeah. like... I don't care. You know, he, I, I actually quite like that. He doesn't, he doesn't care what Alonso has to say. He made the mistake, you know, he kind of apologized for it and he walked away. So I actually really like that. As far as the needle from Fernando, I mean, he's had that one locked uh, since 2007, no doubt about it, but <laughs> it was a bit, there's kind of, you know, there's two sides to it. Number one, it is just the adrenaline running. It is just high emotions. It happens all the time. It's also factually wrong. Like Lewis can clearly race from the back. He isn't just, you know, a driver that kind of, you know, wins from pole and that's it. So it's factually wrong. But yeah, it's just one of those things. That's Fernando, isn't it? He's always got something to say. I mean, if you made, if you, if you made like a top 10 list of like the most famous team radios, I'm pretty sure Alonso would have like three or four of those, you know, whether it's like all the time you'll have to leave the space, you know, the GP2 engine. He has always got something to say, but yeah, it's just one of those things. Lewis has to take it on the chin. I think he's quite he's quite fortunate actually not to get a grid penalty because it was his fault. But mm. yeah, ultimately in the end, yeah, it's it's quite frustrating because I do think he might have had the pace to maybe yeah. get on the podium and beat Sainz. So ultimately, I think he's the bigger kind of loser there. Oh, I don't know about that one. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think for me, like looking at Lewis's onboard, it seems to me that, like I think from what I could see, because um, obviously he came out afterwards and sort of said like, oh, he was in my blind spot and that was the reason for it. And as you said, it was a misjudgment there. I think Lewis probably thought he got the job done and then moved back to get more onto the racing line. And that's where, yeah, unfortunately the judgment wasn't quite there because obviously Alonso was still in the inside and yeah, obviously he moved across thinking he wasn't there. And obviously Alonso, there was nowhere for him to go. As you said, he fully was on the curb anymore. He would have just been spinning out onto the grass basically. And um, yeah, it's great to see, sort of see that like, yeah, Lewis, got to walk away from that because yeah the photos i mean we'll probably be using one of the photos for the thumbnail on this podcast because it's so like dramatic and it's like so like it kind of looks like one of those like sort of fun photoshop memes where it's like someone's like cut him out and then rotated it even yeah. more it's like it's so mad that you see um, that when you see it there um he's also gotten a warning as well for not going to the uh medical tent afterwards because obviously there's a certain amount of um uh it's, they've got obviously a, a telemetry in the car for like how a, a, a aggressive uh, like an, an accent can be and if it's a, above a certain amount of g i think it is then you yeah. it's mandatory for you to go to the medical tent which is a, which apparently uh lewis didn't go to um but yeah just also touch on the whole <clears throat> on the whole uh, team radio thing as well you know we've seen seb come up before during a team press conference um calling down um and thinking it's all bullshit um and saying like you know you can't like ridicule a driver for what he says over a radio um obviously there's there's you have to take that with sometimes with a pinch of salt because whatever some drivers do say on radios can have actually a proper knock on effect but in that scenario there when you're like at the very beginning of the race your adrenaline is super super high and like you know some of the drivers here, you know, we've had we've seen the results of like horrific accidents at this track before. And when you're in that environment, of course, you're going to say things which, you know, you, you say in the heat of the moment. And the whole reason of team radios being broadcast onto TV, it's just for entertainment value. And there's, you've got to take everything with a pinch of salt. And like, you know, I think the uh, analogy Seb, uh, Seb said once before is if you had football players all being mic'd up, some of the stuff they could say out, you would be like 
horrifically cancelled and, and what have you with it. But it's part of the adrenaline of being a top-level athlete and having to perform to the best of your ability. So you do have to take everything with a pinch of salt there. Um, but also at that same sort of corner, we're just actually in the next corner over in that, in that chicane there. Uh, I also want to quickly touch on um, Vettel and Stroll. Um, I think this is one of the very few times where I've got to go to Stroll's defence here and say, you know, Vettel just fully pushed him onto the gravel there. Um, like, it, I don't think Vettel actually got penalised for it. And obviously you can always say, oh, you know, he's lap one uh, shenanigans there. But I wanted to get your take on it because I think it's the, one of the first times, you know, since, you know, Vettel has announced his retirement, you know, from the summer break and it's the first time they've been racing since. Um, it kind of just seemed to be a little bit like, oh, screw it, I'm just doing my own race here. But uh, what did you think of that? Because I actually thought that was a bit unfair and I thought actually Vettel probably should have got a little bit of a penalty for that because I think uh, Stroll actually moved back two or three spots and maybe even got some floor damage from it. So what, what's your take on that, mate? Whenever it comes to these um, Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel kind of almost collisions or very tight racing where... Um, usually in the past, it's actually been said that's been on, on the receiving end. Yeah, I've always said I've actually always kind of half defended Stroll because I think even though it's kind of it is obviously a little bit tricky to do that, you know, against your teammate, they're still racing at the end of the day, and so I've got to keep the same energy and say that Sebastian Vettel was only doing what Lance Stroll was doing to him. Like when it came to Monza last year in the podcast, I you know I still defended Stroll a little bit. When it mm. came to France, I said you know what Stroll did on the final corner of the final lap, kind of um, parking it on the apex. It's yeah. a tricky move, but, and yes, of course, it looks a little bit different when it's against your teammates. So some people say, you know, oh, you've got to give kind of liberties, but these guys are still fighting against each other. Mm. So to me, Seb just was doing exactly what Lance Stroll was doing. And as much as I thought what Lance, you know, did earlier to Seb was kind of like, again, borderline because it's, because it's your teammate, you're still racing. You're still looking to beat that person. I think Seb was ahead. He obviously saw the opportunity to kind of squeeze out a rival, even though it was, uh, you know, Lance. And yeah, it was obviously tricky putting him into the gravel, but... Yeah, to me, it was just kind of very hard racing, which we've seen from these two mm. in the past. So I know it's borderline, but I'm going to I'm gonna keep the same energy. I think what Seb did is exactly what Lance has been doing. So yeah, yeah. I just going. Feel, I just feel like if it was, say, like seven or eight laps further into the race and we saw that, um, I think I think because there's, there's so much going on in that first sort of first lap. Like, that's why I feel like, as it was a little bit further on into the first lap, I think if it was two different drivers, let's say it was, say, Ocon and, uh, let's say, Sonoda, for example. If Ocon had pushed him into the gravel, like, and it was, a, it was a push. It wasn't like, oh, a little too... Like, it was fully like, I'm moving across as if you're not there. I think that would have been like a, a, a time penalty. Um, I think he probably got away with it just because it was lap one sort of shenanigans. Yes. It, kind of, it kind of always seems that like you can do whatever you want on lap one, like even that's track limits or, you know, pushing someone off. It's all kind of like, well, you know, it's all part of like the, the, the big mess and it's always going to be a big mess in lap one. So we just ignore it. That's why they never even show like, you know, the timing tower on the first lap because there's so many people moving positions. Otherwise it'd just be going crazy in the TV graphics. But yeah, I think, I think going back to your point though of like, you know, uh, in France, I think, you know, Stroll was not to like sort of bring it back back up again, but like, I think Stroll was allowed to kind of just do that park on the apex because like he didn't like brake check or anything. He just didn't really accelerate off from it. Um, I think it's more so Monza th last year. That's a better comparison. Yeah, oh, yes, yeah, a yeah, good point there. But I think with here, I think like what well, is very much more deliberate. Nah, off you go, mate. I don't, but that's, he's not even, he's not, I think that's where Seb is not even like even really seeing Stroll as like a, hey, we're working together as teammates here because it's very much like, you're not going to do that well in the team's championship. I just want to end on a high. 
don't care who, you, who who your dad is. Like, I'm just going to go for it. Um, <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That, that, that's like a school thing. Like, I don't care who your dad is, mate. I'll do what I want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, listen, Seb had a great race. I mean, where did he finish? Yeah. In, like, P8 or something? So, I mean, you can't, you know, say what you want, but he did, he had a fantastic race. Yeah, finishing P8. So, <laughs> the, the result speaks for itself, I think. Exactly that. I think, yeah, Hayden will be absolutely fuming if he was on here. But um, but he was but actually... He's uh, yeah, he's not here, though. I, I think he was actually... I think Hayden was positioned on the last chicane on the last corner. And I think he probably would have been able to see his boy uh, do a few overtakes on that one. So uh, at least he's uh, got a smile on his face. But one lap later on, the guy celebrating his last race at Spa, Latifi, <laughs> on his own accord, going into the gravel at the same spot and then tagging Bottas. I think, yeah, we need to have a, a good old chat about uh, about the Canadian here. Like, I was looking back at the replay. He just goes wide on his own accord, it's goes into so the gravel. Weird. And then because he goes into the gravel, it spins him out because he's effectively, as soon as he goes onto the gravel, he then lights up the rears, which then pulls out the rear end. He then spins back onto track, narrowly missing, I can't remember who, who the other driver was. Um, but then unfortunately, Bottas, fair play to him, was doing a, a ticket of, of almost onto the grass. But by doing so, um, Latifi's front wing just touches Bottas's uh, rear tyre. Uh, and Latifi managed to get away from it, but Bottas got beached and that was race over for him. And that was like... On his birthday uh, as well. On I mean, his that's birthday. A and like... I was again like we've been talking about this since this entire time and I always make every joke this that every race that this is Latifi's last race that he celebrates it like tour. the farewell tour I mean I think earlier in the week you know we saw the news that you know that um, I can't remember who said it from um, from Williams but they were sort of alluding that like both drivers like you both Albon and Latifi they don't really need to make much change to their driver lineup Surely this is a clear case scenario that like Latifi, this he needs to leave. He like you see the gap distance between Albon and Latifi. Like Albon, fair play to him. He coming out and saying, you know, we've got the straight line speed, but in the corners, the car is really, really twitchy. And Latifi, he's just struggling to keep it on track. Like Albon, uh, Aldas, what do you, what do you think about this? Because like I, I, you know my my case here. I think Latifi needs to get out of this sport, and like I don't care like what he, he what money he's bringing into it. You can't be making these mistakes like when you're when you're like that level. What do you think on this, man? It's th there's multiple levels to this. Number one, in terms of the actual incident, it was a weird incident because mm. he actually squeezed someone and actually got the move done. You know, obviously it was quite an aggressive move, but you think, okay, so going into Lake Comi, I think he squeezes someone off and actually gets the move. But then he, on the racing line, he goes wide, which is yeah. a bit odd. I don't even know how that happened. Like maybe he misjudged it. Maybe there was just a bit of instability. Obviously, you know, again, I think it was lap two, so heavy on fuel, but you know, whatever. He actually got the move done and then still went wide and... Yeah, inadvertently uh, took out Valtteri. I don't know if they actually made contact or not, but Valtteri was just trying to avoid him. And so oh, yeah, he, that did, was he of, did, yeah. He did, so yeah, that was kind of carnage. Um, but yeah, that was his race, and ultimately he finished last. And so, yeah, yeah it is what it is. But this was just another one of those like worrying races. I think, I think it was actually Jost Capito that said, you know, mm. that they he doesn't see that, you know, they need to change anything, but they do. Because this, this just this weekend, like in, um, if you, in, in just a window... 
Alex Albon really did maximize the car. The Williams is not, it doesn't have a lot of downforce, but it was the quickest car on the straights. I think in qualifying, Albon mm. actually had purple in sector one. He was the quickest driver uh, effectively through just one corner, you know, through last horse because they basically just stripped all of the downforce off, you know, the little that they even had. Yeah. And he maximized what the car was capable of. He was able to use his kind of, you know, racing IQ to get that one point, hold off a bunch of the midfield and cause that DRS train. Yeah. <laughs> and fair play. He showed what that car was capable of. Even got into Q3 now. I know there's obviously a lot of like, you know, the, you know, penalty tax, but <laughs> even so, he really did do a good job. When you look at Latifi, this was a weekend where the car could have scored points, as we saw, because the fastest driver shows the potential of the car. You know, you can say what you mm. want about cars suiting different drivers, but that's how Formula One has been and always will be. The, the performance of the car is dictated by the quickest driver, and Latifi was nowhere near, nowhere near Albon. So... Yeah, it's it's just another one of these, isn't it? I know that he's ha only ever had like the slowest car in Formula One, but it's not as if that car has never been capable of results. And on the odd occasion when it has, he's either not been able to maximize the performance of the car or made mistakes. And yeah, this is just another incident in a long line of why Latifi, I think his days are numbered or at the very least, it's only Williams that are ever going to give him a seat. And I think that's the thing. I think you raised a really good point there is that um, it, if Latifi wasn't in that seat, Williams might not be the slowest car on the grid. Albon got a point here. Imagine if both drivers were effectively, let's say imagine in a world where we had two Albons, like we could see the car potentially like, you know, always being near the top 10. Whereas at the moment, yeah, you've got Albon who finishes P10 here and Latifi finishing plum last. And you said it best there. Like, you know, they came into this race knowing they had some straight line speed. Yes, in the corners, they're going to really struggle because you've got no uh, like downforce uh, going into the corners. But like Albon was able to adapt to that and make it work. Yes, there were some twitchy moments for him, but he still got it into the point. And obviously there's been times before, you know, where Latifi has made it into a point, not on his own accord, I should say. And there's been sometimes he's had a good, good race here or there. But, you know, we've seen it before with Russell, where Russell was always out qualifying the car. And now we've seen Albon do it. And it's kind of like, well, actually... Let's take a step back. Maybe Williams' car isn't that bad. Maybe it is just reliant more on the actual driver. You know, if we had the same ability um, of having uh, someone like George or even Albon having that as another driver, um, maybe we would see next year the Williams have a massive progression going up into it. Um, but I think yeah, the way I've always yeah. said is that that team is almost that team is capped at what they can achieve. They're, they're, the potential of whatever car they give their drivers is capped because Latifi is not able to kind of mm. perform at that level. So theoretically, uh, the, the example I've always used is that if you give the two Williams drivers the Alpine, so you have, you know, two teams, you have the actual Alpine team with Alonso and Ocon, and you have the Williams team with the same car as Alpine, but it's Albon and Latifi driving, the combination of Alonso and Ocon is always going to score more points as a collective because Latifi is capped at what he'd be able, to be able to do. So I'm not saying if you gave him a midfield car, he wouldn't be able to be a point scorer, but he'd never be that level of driver, like the top end guys. Like I think Albon, you know, up against someone like uh, Ocon or Alonso, I think he could do a decent job. Like he could yeah. genuinely, you know, challenge those guys, but Latifi never will. So they're always capped regardless of how good their car is. And Williams really needs to just have a look at the team structure that, you know, if you've got Latifi, who's constantly finishing last place, why should you then take on his feedback on how to improve the car? If you've seen your teammate, you know, get into P10 and stuff, who is working the car, yes, the car might not be working to the full extent, but if he can get it to a position where it's near the points or in the points, then of course you need to be taking his feedback. But with Latifi, 
for the team's sake, why would you listen to the driver who can't even get it from last place? If he's like telling you the feedback and it's not actually improving the car, then you know that's the issue where they need to replace him. If they if he's not actually the one getting it into the points on a regular basis or even getting near there, then you know it's not going to really work out. But anyway, moving on from that. So from I was going to say, it that, sounded like you yeah. had that pent up for a while, Matt, about no, Latifi. I mean, like we always talk, you know, I always give shit, you know, to Mick Schumacher on Fraud Watch. But, you know, like Latifi, I think this it comes to a point now here. It's like it's so clear, I think, to all of us that, that Latifi is needing to go from the team. And it's kind of now just some Williams to actually think and figure out themselves if they want to progress properly into the sport, they need to move on. But anyway... From that, Latifi then brings out the safety car. Um, and actually, Ferrari surprised us all and pit Charles Leclerc, but not because of any tyre issues or anything, but he reports that he gets a... Um, there's, there's a bit of smoke coming up from the front right rear, which, um, Aldous, you actually, yeah, you actually caught on to what, what this was. So please explain to everyone exactly what happened to Leclerc here. <laughs> so it was a very unfortunate situation. It was one of those where the reason why there was smoke from his front right brake is because something unfortunately got stuck, which does happen, especially when you're in the midfield and, you know, with other cars, whether it's like stones or even in this case, it was actually a visor tear off. So unfortunate for Leclerc, you know, he had to make that early pit stop. And so that kind of put him on the back foot. But after the race, when obviously, you know, F1 TV or everyone on Twitter was kind of looking through and all the pictures were getting released, we found out that the driver in front of Leclerc was Max Verstappen. And you can see Max Verstappen on lap one take a tear off. And basically because of all of the dust in the midfield, he said after the race that he, he needed to take a tear off because he couldn't see anything. And you can see actually from Leclerc's POV, Verstappen's tear off literally like actually collide, you know, go into his car. And obviously that's the thing that went into his brakes. So, I mean, that is just brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. The thing that makes Leclerc, kind of ruins Leclerc's race at the beginning is a visor tear off. And whose is it? Max Verstappen. It's it's just uncanny. Like you can actually see Max <laughs> taking it off, and you you can actually see from Leclerc's onboard like uh, the light kind of flickering off the tear off as it's flying through the kind of the air. And it's just it's just brilliant. It's honestly like Mario Kart style. Like you just drop one of those bananas or something, and Leclerc's uh, not quite spun out, but yeah, he's been absolutely done. So just. It's just brilliant, isn't it? It's just, oh, it's yeah. just awesome. But and, summarizes Ferrari season. And for those who don't know, obviously, yeah, like the tear offs on the visor. It's not just like you know the uh, the sort of the plexi you have of the actual visor. The tear offs are basically like ten or fifteen layers of like really thin plastic. So then drivers, yeah, during the race, they can like sort of peel off like a layer of their visor to like basically to act as like window wipers. Because obviously during the race, you're getting so much like you know like uh, either like rubber from the tires or dirt or dust or water or whatever it could be. Um, so then the visor. Um, so then the visor is always clear for the driver. Um, one thing there as well, which is a bit frustrating, is that like the visor itself is actually quite thin plastic. So obviously there was some smoke coming from Leclerc, and that's the reason why he pitted. He obviously didn't know it was like a visor tear. If he just saw a bit of smoke coming up from it. But one of the annoying things about it, though, is that after like a lap or so, the visor would have actually just melted away because it's such thin like material. Um, so I actually don't, because I think it actually went into the brake coolant, which is basically sort of like, like the duct of where air can come in to basically cool down the brakes. Um, and then obviously it gone all the way down to the bottom of the point where it's where it's hottest and that's where you see some smoke coming up from it and as they're on the cool down from the safety car um that's when you know they're not using the brakes as much and they're just seeing it burn away so actually i don't think it actually would have actually caused that much damage to the brakes if anything at all if anything it was just kind of burning away so obviously in hindsight 
you know, it, it could be just like stay out is absolutely fine. But obviously, um, he came in to uh, sort of change the tyres and just so then they could just make sure there's nothing properly wrong with the brakes. Um, but then, then let's move on to uh, where should we go on to then? Uh, I think maybe go on to the race restart, you know wasn't as much of a big pileup as I think we were kind of all expecting. Um, and I think this is kind of fortunately where, for me at least, the race kind of then plateaued a little bit. I think it's kind of safe to say just because I think... the first three laps and that's it. Yeah, the first three laps, because I, I tweeted about this saying like, you know, like, yeah, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, you know, that this race has all the ingredients of being a perfect race, you know, seeing like all the great drivers starting at the back of the field, you know, all of them are going to have to charge through and overtake... And then because of the lap one sort of shenanigans, uh, then it's kind of then basically just went into the, oh, the Red Bull is faster than most of the cars in the grid. So Max is passing everyone going forward. And, you know, I think it was the rate that he passed everyone because he made he went from P14 to P to P8 at yeah. the end of lap one. And his onboard, by the way, is just phenomenal in terms of like. Max yeah. is such a different driver now. You can see that he's thinking about risk management. He's not going to go for a crazy move because he knows he how much yeah. pace he has in hand. By lap 12, he actually worked his way up to P1, but that was during the cycle of pit stops. And then yeah. I think it was by lap 18, he passed Sainz after the first round of pit stops for the actual race lead. Yeah. And that's it. From lap zero to lap 18, all and then all the way to lap 44, he led the race. I mean, that's how quickly and that's how much of a pace advantage he had. But he just got through the field with, you know, such... It, it looked like a video game. It did look like yeah, it was just so on like 90% AI. <laughs> and that's just how much... That's how quick he was. I mean, let's not forget also, he did qualify on pole. I mean, I know he had that kind yeah. of, you know, penalty, but six tenths over science, like around Spa, I mean, that's pretty chunky. I mean, I'm not going to lie. So, yeah, it was... It, Max was just in a class of one, like on a different planet. We use these phrases all the time, but he really was. And ultimately, that's why I think the race maybe wasn't as good because say it took him 30 or 35 laps to get to mm. the front. Obviously, the race is 44 laps. I think it would have like a bit of a different you know, perspective, but because he managed to get kind of into the lead of the race by lap 18 out of 44, like not even halfway distance... That's why maybe the race isn't kind of, you know, maybe it wasn't as exciting, but I still think there was enough in the midfield, in the midfield with the likes of Ocon making a really good comeback. There was a battle between Alonso and Vettel as well. So that's what kind of saved it for me, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's like, yeah, like as you mentioned, like sort of lap two is when, um, yeah, Verstappen was entered past um, Sergio Perez. Um, and you had a little bit of like team radio of him being like, come on, you're just holding me up here kind of thing. But that's, that's normal for drivers to be like, come on, let me through. You know, obviously Max was on the soft and I believe um, Perez was on the medium. Um, and actually, I think uh, I think Max stayed out longer than Perez did on the mediums. I might be wrong about that. Um, but, you know, seeing the pace that Max had on a soft compound, in theory, yeah, the tyre degradation, that was just a big, you know, talking point, you know, coming into, going into Spa because of the track temperature. A lot of people were struggling with the hard tyres. Um, that, you know, they just couldn't get it kind of like, almost they couldn't get it into the right temperature, but then on the soft, it was almost too much. But it seemed like Max just absolutely was absolutely flying with it. He was absolutely fine with it. And to the point where, you know, I think Perez pitted first when, you know, Max was still on the soft and making this charge going all the way through. Um, and But yeah, like what a charge from from Max here. And like, well-deserved for me, you know, getting him getting, I don't want to go jump to head, onto the head heads, but like, you know, him getting driver of the day, you know, like... <laughs> Shock, who, who do you think is going to get it for Red Bull? Let us know. It. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think, yeah, this is one of, the, one of the few races where, you know, you don't want, you know, easy wins for Max Verstappen. Um, I think for all of us, you know, unless something really dramatically happens, you know, 
this is going to be easy going to go to Verstappen for the, for the title here. Um, but these are one of the very few races where, you know, everyone has to take, you know, like a, a PU penalty, um, including Verstappen. And, you know, that's where he's just like, all right, well, I'll just just charge through the grid and this is one of the very few, few cases where yeah it does show off that he's now not as hot-headed you know not having to do dive bombs going into turn one or like you said you know pulling off risky moves it's just like you know it's going to be a long race it's going to be a long marathon so i'll just t pick off when i can you know do like an overtake per race and uh, yeah as you said it like come lap 18 after sort of the pit stops if verstappen then takes the actual lead from science and um, you know what I, th I think as well like I think Science did a good job I think going out from like lap one he actually actually had a pretty decent lead over Perez because um, obviously they yeah, weren't Perez you know... had a shocking start by the way he absolutely yeah. he got saved by that Hamilton and Alonso kind of incident but I yeah. think when it comes to Max th there was nothing whatever Ferrari strategy you know whatever strategy Ferrari tried whatever Perez tried to do there was just nothing because he had so mm. many laps in hand even afterwards uh, and there was something amazing obviously Leclerc tried to go for the fastest lap at the end of the race Mm. Max set his fastest lap on lap 32 on lap 32 so he was coasting by the end of it and Leclerc's quickest lap at the end of the race on fresh tires low fuel was still six tenths lower than Verstappen's like that's yeah. how much that's how much of an advantage he had and this was just a pure pace win it was one of those wins where it was amazing like on Friday when we knew he had the the, the engine penalty you know we knew that he would be kind of outside the top 10 kind of we didn't know where they were going to be because there's so many drivers that had engine penalties but him starting 14th or fi i think it was 15th at first and then gasly i think got um you know pushed a little bit back so he started 14th in the end no one was surprised that max verstappen won it from 14th and that yeah. in itself is just crazy i mean we talk about ferrari struggling to win from pole position because of how you know close they are with red bull this was just a pure pace win where he had a good half a second over the rest of the grid and it was just nuts. I mean, we're looking at a guy starting outside the top 10 and we're going, how quickly is he going to get to the front and how quickly is he going to win this race? So that just underlines what I've never thought that about a driver, you know, before the race. I've never gone. Yeah, you know, he's starting 13th. He's going to win this. I had no doubt with Max Verstappen and I even tweeted, actually, you can give him as many. I think I said you can give him as many grid penalties as you want. He is always going to be with a shot of winning this race. And he did within 18 laps. And I think it just really goes to show as well, you know, Red Bull, They've just they've just like designed such a car like it's I mean like I know we've talked about Paris not having like a great great race he's still got a second for the team but I mean like they've really you know designed that car fully around Max and it's just and it's just working gloriously like they don't need to change I think anything with, like whether it's their driver roster or anything with their package or anything like that because. You know, I think for me, it's, it's, it's going to be clear that he's going to win the title. And I think it's going to be an easy dub as well for Red Bull. Um, and like fair I mean, play to Checo's them. Checo's now second in the title. He's yeah. moved up. I do think, by the way, I will just so that it's not all doom and gloom. I think Spa <laughs> specifically was, it really kind of, it aided the RB18. Like this was a track where it was just at its absolute best. Because even yeah. when they took a bunch of downforce off and had that amazing kind of straight line speed, there was enough efficient downforce that they were still quick in that second sector. Like with Ferrari, they found it very tricky with tyres because um, as the temperature kind of got higher on the Sunday, as the temperatures increased, the tyre wear really ramped up. I mean, uh, Science in the cooldown room said that when he put the softs on, he had three laps of really amazing pace. And after that, that's it, they were dead. Like it was just yeah. tyre management the rest of the way. 
And as far as Merc, because they struggled to get kind of tire temperature, they had to put a hell of a lot more downforce to even get any kind of, you know, to activate the tires. And that completely kind of got rid of there. That killed their straight line speed. So this was, I think, one of the tracks where the RB18 was just at his absolute best. The driver also had three or four tenths in his pocket as well. So everything came together for Max to deliver easily the most dominant kind of, before, you know, result in his F1 career. So, I, but I don't think that's going to be kind of the same going forward. I think Zandvoort is going to swing a lot more to Ferrari. And... On to, I think, the last biggest target point of the race before we go on to the head-to-heads and also some other subjects mm. as well. Let's talk about lap 43. Um, the absolute meme that it is of the Ferrari team, of the strategy team, pitting Leclerc for the fastest lap. I'm just... I'm just honestly just that lost for want, words. That he didn't want, by the way. That he didn't want. I'm just lost for words. Like, I, I, I don't know what's going on with the team. Like... The fact that they called him in for that, and obviously, now, just to, just not don't want to gloss over it too much. You know, there is going to be some blame on Leclerc just because he got caught speeding in the pit lane. That's not the team's fault. Leclerc just came in too quick. Basically, what happens when you know drivers come into the uh, onto the line into the pit lane? Most of the time, they slam onto the brakes. Um, you know, ruining the tires basically. So then you, you're maximizing that there's much time as you can, not losing time going into the pits. Um, and for what I believe is that like he just broke a bit too, or he didn't get the car stopped in time, and then therefore caught the uh, got the uh, speeding in the pit lane sort of uh, penalty, which got applied to him after the race. So ignoring that. It was the team's decision to pit him for the fastest lap. Now, if Hayden was here, I know exactly what he would say. He would be like, oh, well, you know, science, science would never do that. He would ignore the team because science has the master plan because remember in Monaco, he ignored the team orders and therefore perfect. But now, now ignore that, right? Is that We've Hayden established Gullis? That is very oh, much Hayden like Gullis. Mate. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. I'm Hayden. There you go. That's, that's a perfect impression. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, We've, we've established now, you know, like, Charles is working one-to-one with the team. Whatever the team say, he does. Um, because, obviously, he doesn't know how far back Alonso is. He is putting his trust into the team of strategists, of the multi-million company, uh, pound company, that's got all the data there and stuff. They make the decision, he follows it, and then, you know, they release him behind Alonso. And we're just like, I think all of us are just like... We can see on the on the interval on the timing screen, just brilliant. like just like you can see what's it into the source as Leclerc's exiting. You're like, mm, I'm gonna be now. Alonso's getting well close here. He's gonna yeah. have a run on him. And it's just oh, like, brilliant. I think for all of us, we're just a bit like, what the hell is going on? Like, you're in a good position. You're not gonna get fastest lap here, and um, you just put him out in. I, I don't want to say traffic. You put him in the way of Alonso. And yes, he did clear Alonso coming the end of the race, but unfortunately, they didn't get. They didn't keep that position because of the penalty. But still, then you've just compromised your last lap to get the fastest lap, and it's just like, still didn't get it. I just yeah. I mean, like, what, what's your thoughts on it, mate? Because like, I'm just so godsmacked that these rookie mistakes that are happening from a seasoned veteran team, and like, it's so clear to us, anyone watching the race, just like. W- on what on what decision making does that make any sense? Like you're just doing that all for a point, and now you've lost even more points. It's just it makes no sense. But what do you think about it, mate? I do. Do you know what? Actually, even looking at it afterwards, like Leclerc is now third in the championship. I think he's like almost a hundred points. I think he's like ninety six or something behind. As if one point is going to like swing this championship. Do you know what I mean? But um, the only thing I will defend them on is that. I think Formula One are now, there's such a spotlight on Ferrari that 
There is a very good reason why so much of their team radio, like especially mid-race with Leclerc and his engineer, um, was like broadcasted. Clearly, Formula One are trying to seriously just like put them under even tighter screws. I, yeah, I want to kind of defend that part mid-race where one thing that I didn't like about Hungary is that I don't think there was enough kind of communication between Ferrari and Leclerc in terms of Leclerc knowing that he's going to be on the hard tire and the team was almost asking like, are you sure mm. you want to go on the hard tire? You know, that's what we're planning. And I think Leclerc in Hungary should have actually said, no, from what I'm feeling in terms of the tire warm up on the mediums, I don't want to go on the hard. So in a weird way, the only thing I'll defend is that I actually like that, even though perhaps it didn't, you know, sound great. There was a bit more communication between Ferrari. You know, his engineer asked him, when thinking hards or mediums and we're going to put you in this position, you're going to have to work back. Do you want this? Yes or no? So that's a bit of progress. I didn't mind that too much. Again, mm. maybe there's more of a concise way to say it because... It did sound like, I think it was Dan, uh, engine mode, that said on Twitter, like, the guy's actually, his engineer is asking him, like, a maths GCSE question, but I didn't mind that. Asking your driver, you know, what tide you want to be on, there's a bit more communication there. However, the fastest lap fiasco, first of all, we heard on the team radio that Leclerc wasn't even, didn't even want to go for it. How do you misjudge the gap? Because... yeah. The funny part is, I actually think the pit stop was quick. Like, the actual... And also, you know, he did speed in the pit lane. So the actual time in the box was almost the best that it could have been. It was a quick pit stop. You know, he didn't obviously... He also sped, so, it, you know, he kind of got the best uh, part out of it. And he was still behind Alonso. Like, surely you have to have more kind of... In terms of, like, what about if we have a, a three-second pit stop? That's the margin that we're looking for. G give him a bit of comfort space so that he will still come out ahead of Alonso. When it's that tight with two laps to go, why would you risk it? Now... What's really funny is that they only gave him two laps, so when he actually fell behind Alonso, he spent the next lap, which could have been his quick lap, overtaking him. So they should have pulled him in maybe like three or four laps, you know, to give him a good three or four laps to try to try his hand at the fastest lap. So on so many levels, I just don't really get it. Ultimately, it's still, you know, Leclerc's mistake. Like he, he you know, he locked up. And if anyone's wondering, by the way, by how, you know, by how much he sped, the pit lane speed limiter in Spa is 80 kilometers an hour, and he did 81. <laughs> One kilometer an hour. That's what he got caught at. So that's the margins in F1. But yeah, Leclerc's mistake, rules. Ferrari needless. I don't even know why they went for it. They didn't even have a safe enough gap. So yeah, it's just a bad day all around, really, isn't it? And I think, yeah, like they're going for an extra point, And as a result, they lost two more points from that. And it's just like, yeah, rules are rules. You've got to do it. And I would say, like... Uh, it doesn't provoke a lot of confidence, to me at least, the team asking a driver midway through, what tyre do you prefer? I mean, that's why you've got the free practice sessions and like even to qualifying to try and gauge, you know, I know they're doing like race setups, like sort of trims and sort of like getting actual practice and uh, lap time into the, into the track to see what works and what doesn't work. I think midway through a race, asking a driver, you know, what do you think? I think by that point, you need to have it in your, like, you need to have it, like, kind of locked in. I think there in. was a lot more, the thing about on the Sunday is because the temperatures went up, there was a lot more deg. It, it should have been an easy one stop, they thought, from the Friday. But again, I actually, I, I don't mind that. Again, the mm. way they asked it isn't great, but I don't yeah. mind asking the driver, do you think, you, can you make the medium work or do you think you can make the hard work? So I'm, I'll defend them on, on that a little bit because the temperature went up and it was a bit more difficult for all of the teams. So Yeah. yeah. So moving on from Someone's that Someone's got then, to stand up for them, mate. <laughs> yeah, no one else is at the moment. So fair play to you, mate. <laughs> With your little Ferrari flag on. Um, so just before we get on to the head-to-head uh, -head uh let's actually have a quick chat about Spa itself. You know, obviously there's a lot of chat at the moment about if it's... Um, Coming back, because uh, I, 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 just before we uh, started the podcast, Aldous, you mentioned that, you know, they have gotten a one-year extension, uh, but just before one more year. But this is the first time now we've seen the 22 cars race around it. 
And this has been kind of the, obviously the theme this season, us going to old uh, sort of classic circuits. And I, I think our next big one is going to be uh, Monza to see how these new regulation cars are tackling these new circuits. I want to get your thoughts on how you thought the cars are performing here. Because obviously we saw the domination, you know, of the like the Red Bull, of, the, of Matt Vax for Sapinu coming from 14th to go to first. Ignoring that, I think if we didn't have that, I think the race wouldn't have been as good. I think the race would have probably been even like, you know, a two out of 10. Yes, we had some bit of fighting out in the midfield, but I've got to be quite harsh here. I don't think the, these new cars are suited to the track. And like, I love Spa. It's one of my favorite tracks of all time. But in terms of the racing here, I just don't think it it it, it delivered that well. Um, I don't, th- I don't. I think the gravel trap at turn one is a, a great inclusion of it. I don't know if there is any more changes a track can really do uh, to make the racing better. But you know, like. See, seeing this race, it's it's not a great argument to say it being in, in the calendar is good because at least, you know, with like, you know, Monaco, you've got the qualifying aspects, you know, yes, the racing isn't always as good unless and like, you know, unless it was like last, this year where you've got rain halfway through and it's a constant, uh, constant parameters are changing. And also that's something, you know, maybe something in future, you know, if it was a bit more of a wet race, maybe we can see a bit more of an exciting one. But I don't know. What, what what are your thoughts with Spa? Because as I said, like I'm a huge fan of Spa. It's one of my favourite circuits. But in terms of the racing, if you were to remove the Red Bull here, I don't think it delivered that much of a, of a banger. Completely disagree. I actually think it was the complete opposite. I think the problem with the, with this race was that Red Bull and Max were just, they were just amazing. So it takes, that's what you're focusing on. You're thinking Max led for like, what, over 30 laps? I mean, yeah, I, th- I think actually what Red Bull achieved, it takes away from actually what happened in the midfield. Like when you look lower down, you know, you had massive tire deg, which I think kind of threw a little spanner into the works for the top teams. All of a sudden, like in the race, like the Mercedes almost looked like they had a bit more race pace than Ferrari. So you had that kind of, again, just, I'm, I, yeah, I'm going to say the opposite, like remove the Red Bulls. Like it was actually a pretty kind of like tense race to the end. You know, we could have had a, theoretically a Carlos Sainz, you know, George Russell chasing him down for the win, you know, mm. two seconds separating them. We had slower cars like the Williams kind of, be able to get into a window and have a, a certain kind of setup where he was able to hold off the likes of the Aston Martins, the McLarens, the Alpha Tauris. So you had that, which you will not see around a place like Hungary because ultimately that's a place where, say, you know, downforce is king. And then you also had the Alonso Vettel and Esteban Ocon battle as well, which Esteban Ocon pulled off two double overtakes, which, by the <laughs> way, were absolutely incredible. I mean, into the bus stop, overtaking Latifi and Ricardo, that was a great move. And I thought the second one was even better, like a proper Hakkinen, kind of Hakkinen Schumacher, Schumacher yeah. 2000. Yeah, um, I think it was against uh, Vettel and maybe uh, Yuki Sino- uh, Pierre Gasly. Uh, yeah, Vettel and Gasly. So to, that's that's why, to me... I don't think this race was actually shown in the best light because of how strong the fight was up front. And that's the big takeaway from the race. But lower down, you had multiple teams scoring points. I mean, Alpine, Alpha Tauri, Aston Martin, Williams. And I think that's why we can see, you know, why this track, it does allow overtaking. Now, the power of the DRS, you know, what should it be that powerful? That's maybe a different conversation. But I think that this race actually delivered some good racing if you didn't just focus on, you know, the battle for the lead, which was kind of really one-sided. In terms of the actual track itself, at least they have invested money in trying to make it yeah. better. Like they, like there's so many tracks that 
you know, they just, they make so much money that they don't really care about changing it because ultimately they have such a long contract with Formula One. Spa actually did, you know, they added different grandstands. They changed a massive part of the track in terms of adding different, uh, different gravel points and also changing the, you know, the iconic kind of corner in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, Radion and then Eau Rouge as well, like reprofiling both of them adding extra runoff. So the track is trying to take on feedback of what the fans in Formula One say. And I feel like there is still a place, forget about the history, which I, you know, it's important to me, but it's not important to, you know, a lot of other people. But I feel like the this kind of race where also the fan experience of camping and things mm. like that, it does deserve to stay because it, sh it shouldn't all just be about, you know, into the city, you know, the really fast tracks with absolutely, you know, zero um, margin for error with like the really close barriers. That seems to be the way that, you know, Saudi and Miami it seems to be the way that Formula One wants to go. But I think there is a space for, you know, in the middle of a forest, kind of this camping experience and it, Formula One tracks for racing and fans should be, should, uh, you know, give a broad kind of experience. And I think that, yeah, to me, Spa, it's one of the heritage tracks. The drivers still absolutely love it around one lap. So to me, it's it, the circumstances of this race, I think, made it look worse than it actually is. Because just wait until we get to Monza, because Monza is always a DRS train, but ultimately yeah. it's another one of those races you want to win. And I think Spa is the same. So yeah, I'm going to defend Spa. I'm yeah, like, I'm, I'm like a defense attorney today. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, and I do realize I'm being a bit harsh, and I'm no way am I saying it should not be. In the, I, I, I want it to stay in the F1 calendar. I've convinced you then, haven't I? I've convinced no, no, you. No, 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 no. I always, I always, no, no. I just, I, I think if also, I think for me is because I built it up so much. Of, like I said, I say for the third or fourth time, it's like yeah, they had the ingredients of a perfect race, and I was expecting you know to have way more battles because you have got the faster guys towards the back. But maybe you know if we didn't have all these energy uh, energy uh, engine penalties. Maybe we would have seen some different racing, and maybe even had Lewis in it as well. And maybe we would have seen actually, something really a bit quickly, better. Actually, on that, why did everyone take engine penalties at Spa? Why did they not take mm. them at Hungary or next time at Zandvoort? It's because they knew that they can overtake around Spa, and yeah. that's that's not something that you can say about a lot of tracks. Yeah, exactly that. Um, and so, just before we go into the head-to-heads, one thing I want to have a chat to you about, mate. Going back to Ferrari. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Battered enough. I'm just. Well, no. I, I think like. I think we need to have the serious chat now about Bonotto. Um, I am of the firm belief now that Ferrari needs to move him home. Like, I'm sorry, but like the team need to have a leader. They need to have a clear direction. And for me, it's it's so obvious that like he is not the man for the job. I know he's been integrated with that team for years. Um, I think originally being like the, uh, the CTO for it as well. Um, but like we see it with these other teams of like having a clear leader figure who are pointing a team into the right direction and trying to make improvements. Uh, I mean, hell, we've even seen that, you know, with Zach Brown, you know, of like uh, making harsh sort of driver change decisions, but it's all to move the team forward. Um, and I think it's uh, the reason I want to have a chat about it real quick is just because like, even with the previous race where the strategy was so clear that they messed up, um, but Bonotto doesn't admit that it's the team's fault. And I don't know if he's just doing that for like a, for a pride reason. He doesn't want to like belittle the team or he's what have you. He's trying to protect the team. He's trying to and, protect Yeah, and he's trying to protect the, like their heritage and stuff like that. But when it's so obviously clear that they've done something wrong, to have that like... Um, non-negative view on anything and still think oh no we are still the best we're still doing great i think it's just so sort of like delusional and 
I, my firm belief is that come the end of the season, he should be moved on. I don't know who would be the replacement for that, but it needs to be this like sort of leader figure that the team can properly rally behind and have a clear focus. Because I think that's this. I think like WTF1 actually did a great video about it, you know, talking about how many points Ferrari have lost because of the strategy. And like, even to the point where I think they've actually, like Ferrari could have, they've lost a couple of wins this season just purely on like the, on their team's decisions. And you just can't have that in this sort of sport. You need to have a clear focus. And it's as, it's as ruthless as it is with the drivers. If you make a mistake, well, I'm sorry, there's only a few spots here um, that you need to be the best of the best. It should also apply to the team principles. You know, there's only 10 spots, you know, who could be a leader of the team. And I, I think Bonotto has been in it now, being the leader of the team enough now that he is not going to be the guy for the job. But I want to get your two, uh, two cents on it because for me, like, Unless they turn it around this season, I think it's a clear case scenario of like, sorry, mate, but you're going to have to get your P34 in place. <laughs> Unless they turn it around this season. What, what universe are you living at, mate? It's just about how quickly Max is going to win the title now. Well, no, um, I, I, think it's, I, think, I, th- no, I think it's more the case of like, they need, just need to stop making these stupid mistakes because it's so clear to us. So like, they need to like, obviously, I don't think they're going to win the championship in either of them, uh, either teams or the drivers. But I think they need to like, you need to start like, stop making these mistakes um but yeah what, what's your thoughts on, on Bonata here i don't necessarily disagree uh the only thing i will say is that you mentioned he should be gone who who, who did you put in place then who's who's the guy this is my leader there you go he's the guy up next i'm gonna put him he's the guy that's gonna bring ferrari back who is it where, where is this guy or john girl? todd it? he's no longer doing stuff at the fia get him back into position <laughs> really i mean might as well just bring back fernando alonso back to ferrari you know right reunite the entire squad from back vettel vettel, vettel, could, yeah, vettel could, be, could be a shout he can come do what he couldn't do before but it might be a, must be a shout <laughs> brilliant that's the biggest problem there isn't a guy or, you know, there isn't a guy or girl you know whatever you want whichever you want to look at it that is like the next one in terms of uh in terms of the person who could lead Ferrari back. And to me, I've, I've actually said I'd give Bonotto until the end of next season because in the time that he's been at Ferrari, obviously 2019 is when he took over uh, from Arriva Bene. In that time, he is the, the two things that he's changed, which are very difficult to change, is the culture of the team. It's become a lot less blame game. He's clearly protecting his team very, like, a lot. He's taking most of the flack. He doesn't care about, you know, saying in the media that we didn't actually make any mistakes. You know, it was just circumstance when blatantly they did make mistakes because he doesn't want, you know, he doesn't want the pressure to be on the team because they're, they're under enough pressure as it is being Ferrari. And the second and the most important thing that he's done is the technical department has built a good car. That is the number one most difficult thing to do in Formula One. So to me, just through that, this is only like, this is their Ferrari's first proper championship challenging season. Like this is only just, you know, the, the first, you know, the first proper season. And I know that Formula One is like cutthroat. And of course it is. And I, I don't know if he is the man because I'm having doubts, you know, every, you know, race by race. But to me, it's the next season is the one where, you can have 2022 can be your year of pain. It can be, you know, you've built a great car. You do have a good dynamic within the team. You've got two absolutely top draw drivers. Charles Leclerc is good enough and quick enough to win a championship. This year you can make mistakes and, you know, you can do all, you know, this is your pain year, your learning year, your growing year. You're going to go into 2023 having learned all of those lessons. I think that's why next year to me is his final chance. And I'd give him until the end of next year before I'd go. Yeah, now it's time to get rid of him because I feel like he's done enough at Ferrari to bring them back from where they were that he deserves another year to kind of learn from the mistakes from this year. Leclerc too as well, by the way. It's not just Bonotto. And also Carlos Sainz as well. He really struggled at the beginning of the season. And I think next year is the one where if you don't get it done, or at the very least, 
you know, go to a title decider or within two, two races and push for the, for the championship, then I think it's time to look in a different direction. Could we potentially see something like driver transfers? Could you see team principal transfers? You know, a little swap with Alfa Romeo, Frederick Rousseau swapping for Ferrari. Um, you know, could maybe maybe that's maybe what that horse what Bonotto needs. He needs to uh, leave Ferrari, join Audi, and uh, <laughs> try and lead a team that way from from day dot. Whereas Frederick Rousseau, you know, like. You know, good old Freddie. He's like, bless him. The the car when it we've said this all season. When the car works, it works. When it doesn't work, it really doesn't. Um, but maybe he's and then more when the Latifi's taking your you know your number one driver out. That that. Be either exactly that. But maybe you like. Do you think maybe we could see something like a team principal driver swap? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, again, I don't think even if Matteo Benotto is you know fired as the team principal, as you know, say how it is. He'd still work at Ferrari. He's, he was a great technical director. Mm. He was an engine guy yes. back in the Schumacher era. So there is a place for him at the team, of course. But I mean, Ferrari have been ch- chopping and changing over the last, I think they've had like 14 principals over the last 10 years. So you've got to be very careful because it's very easy to get rid of someone. It's a lot more difficult to replace them with the right person. So that's why I'd go, yes, I'd kind of look for options in 2023, but I would give him that, you know, I would give him next year and the Ferrari team in general, both for Leclerc to get better, for Carlos Sainz to not start on the back foot and be there from the very first race. And 2023 is the big big season where you had your mistakes last year. Now it's time to deliver. So, yeah, I'm not saying I, I disagree with you in certain terms of like, is Benotto the guy to really get, gather the team and kind of lead everyone on the pit wall, you know, whilst the drivers do the business on the track. But I think he deserves one more season and 2023 is when he could be out. Fair enough. Well, I think I was just a bit more cutthroat because, um, yeah, I think just because they've just had such a, it's such a weird thing saying Ferrari having like kind of like, we'll have like an underdog story, you know, like this, now they can bounce back. It's a bit like, what, Ferrari? Like, what are you on about, mate? <laughs> sort of thing. Um, but yeah, hopefully get it all sorted up. But now let's get on to the head-to-heads. For those who don't know, we go through each of the teams and we put their drivers head-to-head and we pick who is our driver um, driver for the team for that weekend and uh, go through that. So let's start off then with the top team, Red Bull. I think this one's going to be pretty obvious, obviously. it's going to For me, it's going to be Max Verstappen over, over Perez. You know, Perez did, did, a good, did a good race, still got at P2. But ultimately, you know, having that charge come through from Max Verstappen, P14 to P1, I feel like it's pretty obvious, Adas, isn't it, between us? You know, like, I think for the next few ones, it's going to be pretty obvious, isn't it, of like who who our picks are going to be. So uh, I'm, I'm guessing I'm guessing Verstappen for you as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I will give a bit. I mean, obviously, Max was, I think this was arguably his best ever drive when you look at just just the raw performance, the yeah. pace that he had over the field in his pocket, always had like, he, he did his quality lap six tenths quicker than science on one lap, literally just in and out, there you go, six cents quicker than the entire field. So that just shows you how much it was easier for him in the race. And that's all credit to him and the team and the car they've built. But also I think Perez, in a weird way, I think it wasn't a great race by Perez because he absolutely bottled it at the beginning and kind of brought it back later on. But he's now second in the championship. And I feel like it's been an, I think it's been a good season by Checo. He's done exactly what he needs to do. Like he's had his ups and downs as well, which is what you're going to get as Max Verstappen's teammate. But second in the championship ahead of both of the Ferraris, I feel like over the course of the season, he's actually done an okay job as the driver that we know is the number two. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's got to be Max. This was this was him at his absolute best, and we're seeing one of the greatest drivers of all time. I think at his absolute peak. Absolutely. And I think also like a good mention is it as well, you know, there was obviously a lot of upset from last season, you know, even some people go and say like, oh, well, you know, Verstappen, he's technically not really the champion because it was handed to him by literally that. Yeah. Whereas with this season, it's like, okay, well, if last season didn't really count, then this season definitely counts. There's been no sort of like, 
no nah, sort of funny business count. or anything. Yeah, Fle- flexi floor tax, flex- flexi floor tax, mate. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny that they, there was so there were so many people talking about oh you know coming into Spa you know Mercedes they're going to be bouncing back because of all this flexi floor thing and if no, anything. Yeah, literally. And if anything, now, like, they're just doing even better. And I, I, was, I was so surprised. And, and we'll, we'll go on to Mercedes in, in a sec. But, like, um, I, I was just so surprised that, like, so many people were expecting, you know, Mercedes to bounce back from this. And it's I did just it. a bit like, think, and it's just like, absolutely bullshit. I think it was Christian Horner, though, on Sky. Someone did ask him, like, why do you think Max is, uh, why do you think Max has just been on another level in Spa? And I think he took a little dig and said, oh, it must be the uh, the uh, Flexi Floor Technical Directive or something like that. Like, <laughs> I love that little dig from Horner. He, know, he knows when to kind of he get He knows what in, to so. do. Absolutely. Exactly. So if we go down now into into the next team on the, for the podium, which was Ferrari. Yeah, I think um, Sainz did a great job today. Uh, today, more yesterday. Um I think yeah, it was it's a good one from Science. Um, I, I've got to give it to him over over Leclerc um, purely on the basis, you know, from what I saw, Science didn't make any mistakes. Kind of just did what he did. I think he did extract all he could from from the car. Um, and you know, yeah, like obviously we've got to put a bit of tax into Leclerc for having a, l- a little bit of a speeding uh, in in the pit lane, having a bit of, of, of there. But also Criminal. he did. But he did the job, though. He got he got the Ferrari onto the podium. He did try to like keep it in uh, in between, you know, uh, sort of Verstappen and Perez. But unfortunately, as you said, like I think even like Claire said it after the race, you know, Red Bull just on another level. But yeah, for me, I've got to go go science on this one. Yeah, definitely got to go science. There's not really much more that he could have done. I mean, it was actually a pretty good job to out qualify Perez yesterday, and he he got a decent start. There was nothing he could have done. Like whatever tires you wanted to throw on the Ferrari, whatever you know strategy you wanted to try. It was going to be the Red Bulls were just just had too much pace even on Perez's side. So he did almost bottle it to to, to George Russell, and I was watching that gap for like the last <laughs> ten laps. I was like, "Come on, George!" But yeah, it didn't quite happen. But yeah, to me, it's going to go. Uh, it's going to go to science. Yeah, and f- somehow he managed to keep it out of the gravel trap, which it's it's really surprising to me. Uh, but now let's get on to the Mercedes <laughs> then. Um, obviously, I think this one we're going to just give it straight to George Russell. I think you know, like got P four. Didn't make any mistakes, unlike his teammate, unfortunately. And yeah, like as you said, you know, he was only like a uh, like a one or two seconds behind uh, science. You know, if we had a, a couple more laps, uh, you know, maybe we could have even potentially because there was that you know, that like a bit of tension towards the race end of the race, like maybe he could get the podium here. Um, but I think by that point, I think George said he made a little tiny mistake of just a little lock up, and then the tires from there was just having to manage yeah. it. I know science was also uh, was in the same ballpark of like, you know having to manage his tires as well. But you know, like. Ultimately, I think, again, with like all these ones, didn't make any mistakes, you know, and that's it. Yeah, it's got to be King Russell. I mean, it's just still every single race he's finished this season, he's always been in the top five. I mean, that's consistency right there. And uh, yeah, I think good performance by him. I think I still think that Lewis had. That's why I was so frustrated with that with that um, collision Mm. by Lewis, because if George Russell is finishing two seconds behind Carlos Sainz, like with Lewis Hamilton's speed, and he does seem to have, especially uh, since I think Canada was the really big turning point, he does seem to have like a tenth or two just over George Russell in qualifying, and he has that experience in the race as well, and the time management that Lewis has just got on lock. I would have been very kind of interested to see what Lewis would have been able to do, because I think he would have been ahead of science as well, so, um, you know, I think that might have been a podium for Lewis. Um, you know, I, I do think that that if, if George Russell's finishing two seconds behind, then I can't take that off the table. But ultimately, yeah. uh, he can he you know he made a mistake, and uh, it's got to go to George, who I think just he's just consistency, isn't he? He's just it might be a bit boring. There's not really much to you know much to talk about, but 
he's just amazing. So yeah, yeah. I'm very, I've been very happy with the uh, King George and his season so far. Yeah, I don't think I, 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 I think I would have to disagree about Hamilton getting to the podium. I think they would have probably been in the same position. I think we're at this point now where both Lewis and Russell, they're pretty much equal, equally matched um, in terms of pace. Obviously, I know, yeah, Lewis did out-qualify Russell, but not by much. And, like, to be fair, like, I think they're now pretty much equally matched. And, obviously, at the beginning of the season, you know, Lewis was still having some issues sort of adapting to the car, but that's obviously because they were testing out newer things to the more seasoned veteran, whereas, uh, you know, they're trying out different things in terms of, like, the bodywork and, like, different setup styles. Um, but, yeah, I think they're pretty much equally matched now. Um, so I, I, I still think if Hamilton hadn't had that collision, I still think he probably would have gone, like, a P4, maybe even a P5, if, depending on him and Russell. But I don't, I think, yeah. He was fighting for Alonso for P2, though, so you never know. He would have been ahead of Sainz. So Sainz would have had to overtake Hamilton. Yeah, but then let's then let's go on to then Alpine. Um, Alonso and Ocon fair play to them I think it's so clear now they are like the quickest of the midfield pack I mean both of them were absolutely like lightning quick and as you mentioned earlier in the podcast you know like some great moves from Ocon and like also yeah Alonso uh, I think he had a bit Alonso had a bit of like a, not a quiet race don't say that but like obviously towards the end he had that little sort of little scrap with Leclerc um, obviously I think with this one I think I've got to go hmm I think for Come this on. one, actually, I think I've got to go with no. Ocon here. Um, oh, I've, it. No, I, I've got to go with Ocon in this one because, you know, like, uh, I can't... Was Ocon one of the ones who had the penalty penalties He for? did, and he actually yeah. qualified Alonso as well. I think they finished... They, they qualified right next to each other, but Ocon was in front. Yeah, I, and I think although Alonso, yes, he did get P, uh, P5, where in the race it was technically P6, re- removing the penalty... Ocon got up to P7 and I think, you know, some of the moves he made were like outstanding. And like, I think he's, this season he's really coming alive. I know obviously last season he, 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 was, he was decent as well, but I think this one is where at least I, I think on, in terms of screen time, we're actually get to, getting to see a bit more uh, of what he's capable of. And like, you know, I think it's just, it just goes to show that, you know, that Alpine for me is clearly is going to win the, the midfield battle here. And like, it just goes to show, I think that, I think they are going to get P3 in the, in the, in the constructors. Um, and yeah, you know, Alonso and P4, uh, P4 sorry, apologies. Uh, nah, P3, they're going to get P3. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think they're just going to, I think they've just really shot, like they've done such a great job with that car. Um, and both drivers, they're not making these uh, silly mistakes and they're just extracting everything they can from it. I mean, it also fair play to Alonso. Yes, you have that contact. And I think obviously he had a bit of damage to the uh, front on left the plate. Um, on the end plate, but not enough that it's like broken or flapping off. It was pretty much just kind of just like it just bent a little bit, which I think similar to Leclerc yeah. in Silverstone, I think something yes. like that. Yeah, and it's like it just it just bent it a little bit, not breaking. And I think fair play to like it clearly didn't do any damage in terms of pace or anything, um, considering you know how dramatic the actual jump over was. But yeah, for this one, I've got to give give it to Ocon. First of all, just going back a little bit, you said I think this was a quiet race for Fernando. Has Fernando Alonso ever had a quiet race? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't fair. remember one. Yeah, it, it, ign- on ignoring the beginning. And then the little bit at the end, the two laps at the end, in the middle bit. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I mean, maybe my memory's just some. Um, I'm getting again old. I just can't remember as much. So, um, but maybe that's why. But no yeah, argu- no arguments here. Um, <laughs> but joking aside, I do. Do you know what? I think this race was actually. I think it just epitomizes why I do think that Alpine have 
arguably the, the fourth or third best driver lineup on the grid. Like you have one driver starting in the top 10, like in the top 10 with, you know, with good points on the table in Alonso. He almost gets up into P2 and he still kind of maximizes where the car could have been even doing better, you know, getting up into P5. And you have the other driver starting outside of the points and still, you know, getting, uh, you know, up to behind Alonso, both of them maximizing what could have been possible. And you have, you have a strong car. You have one of the best driver lineups. It's just like, how did Alpine bottle this for 2023? But we're going to see, obviously, uh, actually, even today, obviously, Oscar Piastri's um, contract recognitions board hearing is today. So that'll be quite interesting. But oh, gosh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm still going to go with Alonso, but it's so close. I mean, that takes nothing away from Ocon. What a drive by by Ocon. But ultimately, you know, Fernando did kind of everything that he could have. He, you know, got up into P2. Had it not been for that uh, collision, you know, that would have been quite an interesting one, you know, between him and Hamilton. And even after that, he drove, I think, a very good race, uh, four back as well. Because I think after his last uh, pit stop, he got put back into some traffic. So he did have to overtake. And uh, yeah, finishing in P5, Ocon in P7, great result for the team. And I can't believe they bottled uh, that. I can't believe they bottled this uh, driver lineup for next year. But yeah, Ocon <laughs> still did a great job. O Ocon still did a great job. But I'm going to go with Alonso. Absolutely. Let's go on to then Aston Martin. You've got Vettel in P8 and you've got Stroll P11. Uh, Stroll out qualifying uh, Vettel, I believe, uh, in yes. qualifying. Uh, but then obviously, like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, you know, Vettel getting his elbows out kicking him into the gravel and uh, <laughs> knocking him down two spots and ironically finishing two spots behind, uh, or three spots actually, I can't, I can't count anymore. Um, hmm, I think I've got to go, yeah, I think, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, yeah, yeah it's, I'm kidding. I, I'm going to go to Vettel, obviously. Um, he made some moves during the, during the race, which was great. Uh, it, pretty much everything seemed to go down into Lacombe. Uh, that, that was kind of like the main sort of area for all the overtakes we were sort of seeing. We had a few side-by-sides going down to Eau Rouge and uh, Radion, especially at the very beginning of the race as well. You know, I, I think I think he was battling against uh, Ricardo, uh, sort of going down it, and straight away I was a bit like, a bit sketch, but... Um, but yeah, I think with this one, it's um, fair play to actually Aston Martin. You know, they they still they obviously struggled at the very beginning of the season, but now you know both of them that they they're kind of doing that. This kind of sort of shows, like we were sort of saying earlier with like Latifi, you know, the Aston car. It's not performing that well this season, but when you've got two drivers who are not making as many mistakes. They're sort of delivering all right with it. And, you know, you've got Vessel here in P8. And also, although Stroll is just outside of the points, he's only in 11th. So that's not, not, not nothing you can sort of really bash him about. So, I mean, fair play to both of them. They are working. They're, they're doing great. They need to be, if they're wanting to get more points in the constructors, they need to be a bit, be a bit more, like, respectful of each other. But also, I respect Vessel for, like, not giving a fuck because it's his last season and he just wants to do what he wants. So, but yeah, for me on this one, I've got to give it to Vessel. Yeah, got to be Seb. I thought what was really good is that um, the car, the car is definitely getting better. Maybe it suited it a little bit more on this track. Like Seb said that he was really surprised about how good the tire, uh, the, the tire wear was on the Aston Martin. So it does have these kind of plus points. It's still a bit of an inconsistent car, but yeah, great race by Seb. P8, he was also pushing Fernando at one point. Like I remember that last pit stop for Fernando. He kind of had to pit because, uh, was it Vettel was kind of closing in on him. So maybe could have been an even bigger uh, result on the table, but yeah, great performance by Seb. I, I kind of feel similar to the Williams situation, however, where, with Lance Stroll, if you had someone like Seb Ocon, you know, you know Seb uh, Fernando, you know, even Seb Lando, um, God, all that rhyme, didn't it? Uh, but if you had like <laughs> any combination of those drivers, I think Aston Martin could be doing a lot better in terms of the constructors, uh, maybe even ahead of uh, you know Alpha Tari. So yeah, it's it was a great performance by Seb, but as good as Lance Stroll can be, I still think that he doesn't lack that. He kind of lacks that consistency. So yeah, definitely an easy Seb dub. But yeah, I think arguably maybe his best performance. 
And so then let's move on to who should we go on to next? Uh, let's go on to Alpha Tari, I think. Um, Yuki Tsunoda and Pierre Gasly. So where, let me have a quick look at the standings here. So I think, yeah, Gasly finished P9th and then Yuki uh, down in P13. Yeah, I think, uh, did they both get penalties or was it just Yuki? I think it was just Yuki who It was just it. Yuki, but uh, yeah. Pierre Gasly's engine actually failed to start on the grid. Like, actually, actually yeah. I think Gasly also had an engine penalty, but I think he was qualified, I think he qualified technically ahead of the ahead P8, of Verstappen. He started and yeah, so we saw that empty grid slot in his, um, yes. in, in his box. We had to start from the grid unfortunately but and then he so, said that they literally fired yeah. his engine up like 30 seconds to go so he only just started the race and it's a good job he did because you know scoring that p9 there's a few rumors of him potentially going to alpine so this mm. result uh you know during a difficult season where the car hasn't quite been there and i don't think pierre's also been at his best as well this result is perfectly timed and i've definitely got to go with gasly yeah absolutely i, I, I fully agree it's like yeah, starting P8 to have all those issues on... Did he even make it to the grid in time? Or did they just couldn't get out of the garage? Um, they couldn't, yeah, they couldn't start the car, so I think they just left them in the garage. Yeah, because there's also a certain cutoff point as well, isn't there? Uh, to you, you go out and you do your reconnaissance lap, see if it works, but then I think there's a certain shut-off point where if you can't make it in time to the grid, I, mean, I think that's basically when they start inviting all the VIPs out onto the grid, therefore if you can't make it there, then therefore you, it's... Um, there's a certain point before the, I think it's like five or 10 minutes before the race, you cut you, then you have to stop the pit lane. But to go from literally, I know everyone kept saying it, the back of the grid for everyone who got penalties from starting from the actual back of the grid. Um, and then some, because you're starting from the pit lane. So as soon as they've cleared the pit exit and gone up already up a Rouge and Radion, that's when then Gasly could go to go from that. Obviously you've got the safety car, but then go from that. to then ahead of your teammate P9. Yeah. As you said, I think it's a great, like a, great case and point for him if he was to switch to another team um whichever it might team whatever team it might be then absolutely is all fine and the only reason i think obviously he would be moving is because obviously he would be able, able to progress up into the main red bull family again because of uh, other reasons but yeah so i think for this one i've got to give it to gasly but i mean like yuki it's a bit of a shame you know like i think he started uh p14 i think and only getting up to p13 <sighs> A bit of a shame with this one, but um, yeah, if we move I mean, we on... We saw Liam Lawson in the car, so it's not as if Yuki's uh, seat is uh, safe either, so... Exactly, yeah. yeah. Very interesting, I think, every, very interesting kind of few races left for Yuki, because he's got to really turn it up. Yeah. Uh, on to then Williams, which obviously we've already talked about in some great length, with uh, Latifi uh, celebrating his last race at Spa, and Albon <laughs> in, uh, in P10. Clearly, it's got to go to Albon. He's doing so amazing in that in that seat. Um, I think I think Tomo is obviously going to be like head over heels with it, and it's just so good to see him now like properly performing. And I know like it's P10, and in terms of the relative, oh, he's not performing. He's not the, not not in the top. Like he's performing the most out of the car, and he's clearly showing he's just a next level racer. Um, and it's just so good to see for him. But I'm, I'm guessing for you, mate, is Albon as well. <laughs> Yeah, it's got to be Albon. Great performance when the, when the car was there. You know, he he took full advantage of it. Him and the team did a great job setting up. And there was also a lot of, um, I think he said after the race, there was also a lot of kind of uh, tuition in terms of uh, cooling the tyres and kind of because they were struggling with overheating as well. So, yeah, it was a great all-round performance. He really did. He was kind of the at the head of that train. So he managed to hold, hold everyone off perfectly and a thoroughly deserved uh, a point at the end.
Yeah. So let's move on then to McLaren. We've got Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo. Lando finishing uh, P12 and Ricciardo P15. Obviously, we had all the big news uh, over the summer break, you know, of like um, Ricciardo leaving McLaren. Currently don't know as of time of recording where his next steps will be. Will he take a year out of the sport? Will he move to another team like Alpine or Haas or whoever it might be? Fuck you. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, basically that's all up in the air at the moment. And obviously he's now going to be coming into these next few races. And it's kind of going to, for Ricardo. obviously it's going to be up in the air of like, if it's going to very much be like a, a fuck you to McLaren or if he's just going to sort of like still try and perform the best as he can to kind of solidify why he should still be in the sport. Um, yeah, a bit of a shame. Obviously, you know, Ricardo just missing out um, and, and getting knocked out of, uh, of of missing out on Q3. Literally, I think it's by like 0.09th of his, or like a ninth or a tenth out of the out of the qualifying. But still, it's a small margin here, um, which he needs to deliver on. Seemed to struggle. Obviously, him and uh, Lando on different uh, sort of tire strategies, and so unfortunately, like I think they both said after the race, you know. Um, Yes, they can be within like sort of DRS of a car, but it was just wasn't enough straight line speed to get ahead um, because I think Quite they went a draggy car that McLaren. Yeah, they, they they very much set up the car more for drag rather than high um, than, than high speed, which is kind of the opposite with like the Alpine. You know, with the Alpine, the the straight line speed they've got on it's great, so they just reduced um, any drag they had on that. Uh, but yeah, you know, like Lando, uh, yeah, out qualifying Ricardo and you know performing um, getting ahead of him here, even with the penalties as well. Yeah, obviously he's got to go to Norris. It breaks my heart, but yeah, I think yeah, like we can't all just like forget these struggles of Ricardo. Like it's not like now that the announcements come out, it's not like these struggles are now going to go away for Ricardo. But yeah, it's, he's, yeah. he's going to start. He's got. He's going to start getting on the podium now, mate. Monza's still yet to come. Monza's still yet to come. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's got to be Lando. Uh, the car just didn't work at all. No. Like whether it was the setup or the tires. Uh, yeah, the car didn't work. Both of the drivers weren't exactly happy. They got caught in the train. Lando finished again. Whatever strategy they would have put, you know, they tried two different strategies and both of them didn't work. So that yeah. tells you everything they need to know. And then, yeah, pretty much that. Yeah, neither of them scoring a point. So even though, yes, you know, Lando did finish ahead, effectively they're trying the different strategies to try and gauge anything onto like getting into the points and. It seemed just like whatever they were throwing at the drivers, it just wasn't really working. Because, yeah, it's just like when you're not in the DRS train and you're at the front of it, then you're going to get caught out. Because obviously, yeah, Ricardo was at the very front of the DRS train and Lando was pretty much behind. So naturally, if you've not got a toe on anyone, you're just going to be the sitting duck. And unfortunately, that's where we end up. But then going Ricardo on to Ricardo couldn't then, keep up with the Williams because it was yeah, so slippy. Like Exactly that, slippy. yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's Yeah, in the straight line speed, you know, the Williams, yeah, um, as we said earlier, um, had zero sort of uh, drag on it. So it meant in the, in, the, in the corners, it was quite twitchy, but in the straight line, speed like it's just it's just next level so um but then moving on to then uh let's go on to alfa romeo uh joe Yu and valtteri bottas uh it's hard to judge obviously because obviously you got uh joe who's in p14 um yeah just kind of thinking kind of like being stuck towards the back of that crs train and then obviously bottas being taken out by uh by the goats so um Joe, sure. <laughs> I love how I love how like difficult you're finding it. It's got to be Joe, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. He got he said on a thing on uh, Instagram and Twitter they basically just got stuck in the train. And I think Williams actually replied with like a little joke or something like, "Did you enjoy being in the train?" I forget something like that. But Williams took a little dig, which uh, which I was pretty funny. But yeah, it's got to be Joe. But yeah, the Alfa Romeo not quite performing how I thought it would. Hopefully they do bounce back because Joe is another one of those drivers along with. Uh, Mick Schumacher and also Yuki Tsunoda who I want to see how they do in that second half of the season because I don't think his seat is also 100% safe either. 
Yeah. And then moving on to then the last team, Haas, with Kevin Magnussen and Mick Schumacher. Literally no clue what happened to them, by the way. I did yep, not nothing see them at all. once. Which was really like, surprising because I think on the starting grid, I think Magnussen was, yeah, it was P12 because um, obviously I don't think he took a penalty, um, but like he's in a good, decent position and then they basically end, you know, P18, P17. Um, you know, Kevin qualified really well. Technically then did obviously, you know, uh, finish ahead of Mick Schumacher. It's, I, 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 I'm assuming it's more just because of what the actual car. Obviously, my pick is obviously going to go to Kevin. Um, there isn't much of a fraud watch here because we didn't actually see much of them during the race. Um, but I mean, again, it's the thing of like you know, Old spot can't fruit, find yeah, them. can't find them, can't see them. Um, but yeah, again, you know, it's another case in point. You know, Mick needs to, needs to be closer to his team. I can't, don't think he. I think. I need to get a list here of like all the people who actually got penalties. I think Mick you got do. a penalty. Uh, Mick Schumacher also had a penalty. I don't think he even he qualified because there was just no point. Yeah, but so, even yeah. then, though, it's sort of like... Because I know Bottas kind of had the same thing because he, he was taking the penalty. But um, but even then, like, I know they didn't try to push the car and qualifying. But even then, I'm like, mm, well, still want to be trying to be better than the rest, even. But... Um, yeah, I think in that one's obviously clear. Just got to go to, uh, got to go to um, Kevin. But like again, we didn't see them, so it's hard to kind of judge it. But I mean, like Kevin, yeah, qualified P twelve. But I think then the car performance just meant they just went to the back of the grid. Unfortunately, yeah, they just felt like a stone. I didn't see them once. Like not a single replay, not a single time on track. Like maybe they were getting lapped at one point and they were kind of in the background. But yeah, yeah I didn't see them once. Uh, I've got to give it to K Mag, but that's purely just on the result, not based on any actual performance. But um, but I think that's pretty much it. I think we'll wrap it up there. Make sure to also comment down below if you're watching us on YouTube what your picks are for the head-to-heads. And as a reminder, if you're not following us already, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and also sub- follow us on your whatever podcast play you're doing. You're it running out of tyres, mate. You're running like you're you're degrading. Just like <laughs> exactly, the size of Spa. Exactly that. Yeah. And also make sure to vote us five stars on Spotify as well. If you can only do that, I think during uh, on your phone. But make sure to uh, rate us five stars. But I think we'll wrap it there. So thanks so much for listening and watching us again. We'll be back next week for the Dutch Grand Prix, and we'll see you then. Thanks very much for watching, and see you later on. Bye. Bye.